competition. Are there any voices that are the best voices in your brain to listen to? Is it me? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? Just checking. Uh, somebody one time told me, I can listen to you all day. I'm like, I think you've got issues with your hearing. I don't want to listen to me all day. Uh, do you know people that just want to listen to themselves all day? Don't raise your hands and don't point at all. Or certain voices of Christmas, like uh, we just got into a new used car, so we've got this free XM radio thing for just like three or four weeks or whatever it is. And so I found the contemporary Christmas like station and decided I love the traditional voices. The Dean Martin, the Sinatras, I do not want Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is not Mariah Carey. It's no desire. Uh, but there's certain voices that kind of get you, that get you in the mood. Um, or there's certain voices in life that just kind of do something to you. Um, I love the sound of my wife's laughter. Uh, there's something very soothing about that. I love the sound of her voice, unless I hear David Matthew. Um, then there's a different conversation about to happen. We all have these different voices that just do something to us, move us to a place, take us to a place. And voices are so impactful. In fact, I was reading a ton of studies and articles about voices the past couple weeks. And one article says that many times we think about smiles and eye contact, but studies show that our voices greatly impact the impression we have on people. Voices matter as much as words matter. They have a, the power to awaken the senses, to lead others to act, to close deals, or to land us successful job interviews. In fact, voices are so instrumental to our, our lives that the, one of the very first sensations for us to develop in the womb at three weeks... You're the size of like a shrimp in your mother's womb. At three weeks, you already can detect your mother's voice through the vibrations of her vocal cords that go down in her body into the womb. Three weeks, you're already able to detect, detect and get uh, in this place where you're recognizing your mother's voice. University of Wisconsin did an experiment where they gave their subjects a stressful exam. And in the middle of all the stress... They took the group and split it in half. Half were able to call their moms. The other half were able to text their moms. And what had happened is this. They took blood samples before and after the test itself, and they revealed this difference. The students who had heard their mother's voices showed far lower levels of stress hormones and higher levels of common oxytocin. The students who texted their moms showed no change in their blood chemistry. What does this mean for our species, for human beings, that voices are important? And they're not just important for our makeup, they're important for us in society. It's how we communicate and, and develop bonds with people. Um, it helps people to see what is truly on the inside of ourselves. I mean, Jesus said that himself, that from the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So voices they're essential to how we humanize people and see them for who they are. I read another study that talked about the, the dehumanization of people. And it said that they, they did this study in Chicago during the 2016 election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And so they got groups of people that were going to vote for Trump and vote for Clinton. And they brought them into rooms and just had them look at a camera and say, why are you voting for this person? Then they took that information... They took the videos and they made transcripts of them and they got another group, another focus group. And so they had people watch 
watch the people expressing their opinions, and they had another group just simply read the opinions. The people who wrote the, wrote, uh, read the opinions and didn't see it or hear it, they took those opinions and began to form opinions about the idiots who said what they said about the person that they don't like. But the first people that watched it and listened to the voices actually had more compassionate. They thought the, that those individuals were thoughtful. They considered them intelligent, even though they didn't agree with what the other person was saying. It's the power of the voice. In fact, I read another study that talked about if you want to ever lie to somebody, snow somebody over, don't do it over the phone. Apparently, see, in my brain, if I know, I know someone's lying because of the eye contact, the body language, but they say it's actually easier to catch a liar over the phone by just simply the voice that they give. Which means if you want to lie to somebody, don't call them. Or if you want to find out someone is lying, call them. It's the power of our voice. A Canadian research project studied the perception of voice recognition and said this, in the presence of competing voices, we can find familiar ones standing out in a crowd. We can track down the people that we know and the voices that we know intentionally because of how familiar we are. And we can legitimately walk into a room and find the voices and tune the ones that are unfamiliar out and tune into the ones that we truly know. Isn't that how it is in life, though? And not just with individuals. You'll go to Christmas parties and you will immediately walk in and hear the people that you know best. Try this out. You'll hear the people that you know best and you'll immediately make your way toward them. Why? Because you will lean toward the voices that are familiar to your life. And so often, I get people that get in anxiety, they get in frustration mode because they don't, they're like, Pastor Dave, I'm trying to find the voice of God in the middle of this stressful situation. And the more conversations I have, I begin to realize that the only, if the only time we ever try to listen to the voice of God is when we're in stressful situations, we're in a crowded situation where our life is being pressed on all sides. It's no wonder why we can't find his voice is because we've never been familiar with his voice. And we got to get to the place where we're familiar with the voice of God, whether the sun is shining or it's not, whether it's a storm or it's a calm day. Because if we can get used to the voice of the Lord, then we will, when we go through the valleys and we go through the struggles, we will know what he is speaking and where he is leading because we can tune it all out because we can focus on his voice. This is what I want to talk to you today about voices of victory. I want to talk about the invitation to victory because there are so many voices out there competing for your attention. It made me think of eons ago, back when I think Cammie was seven or eight years old, we, uh, we had her join softball. She wanted to try softball out. Now, if you've ever had a child join softball, uh, number one, aren't like sports parents the worst? They are, sometimes they can be the worst. I was one of them. And so I remember she joined. And now it was one of those leagues where it was coach pitch and they stay at the plate until they hit the ball. Makes for the longest softball games of your, of your adult life. And so, but Cammie dominated. I'm not just being that dad. She legitimately dominated. Like she was the number two player on the team. Number one, we both admit, we talked about it this week, was Molly. But we believe Molly was on steroids. Have you ever seen a seven-year-old throw somebody out at first from her knees from third base? The girl was on steroids. But Cam just was amazing. She just crushed it. And at the end of the spring season, the coach pulled me aside and said, 
We want to bump Cammie up to the older age, the next older age. She doesn't belong at this level. She belongs at the next level. I'm like, that's right. She belongs at the next level. Of course she does. She's a Behringer. And so we bump her up. But when she got up to that team, we begin to realize that all of her little friends at the one level, these were all her, their older sisters. And so we get there. And can I say the comments from parents? Why is she up here now? What makes her so much better than everybody else? And I'm like, she is. I didn't want to be that dad, but I became that dad. But listening to parents like, my daughter should have been brought up. My daughter, I thought, was better than Cammie this year. And then Cammie's down the field, and I could hear other girls saying, why are you here? What are you doing here? And then Cammie comes off the field, and now she wasn't the best on her team in the longer, but she was, like, right in the middle. She's got, like, 30 kids. I'm like, listen, you're better than at least 15 of them, Cam. And she's like, but I'm not the best. I'm failing. I'm like, you are doing amazing. She says, but the other girls keep saying this. And so I can hear what the girls are saying. I can hear what the moms are saying. I'm like, here, I want you to listen to me. This is what I know you can do. This is what I've seen you do. And if you keep working at it, here's where I know you can go with this. I'm here to say there are voices whispering in your heart. This is the way life is always going to be. This is what's always going to control your life. This is the addiction that's going to constantly monopolize you. You'll never find somebody. You'll never find that significant somebody. You're never going to get healed. You're never going to get out of anxiety. But my friends, this is not the voice of Jesus. This is not the voice of victory. These are the voices of our society surrounding us, telling us what to do, how to feel, and how to act. But I'm here to say that when victory is pending, when we're wanting breakthrough in our life, there's only one voice we ought to trust. And there will be voices that will tell you what victory is supposed to look like. But there is a father who has a better voice, a better story for you. And in the middle of those moments, we need the voice of the father to speak to our, to our life. We need it. Well, Pastor, do you know what I'm going through? I don't know what you're going through, but I do want to make a statement to you. When I, if we're going to talk about victory this morning, I'm here to say this, that the, what the enemy wants to do in your life doesn't cancel what God is doing. What the enemy is speaking into your ears, what he tries to speak into your soul, what he tries to speak over your life, he can speak whatever you want. He gives off the idea. He has the voice of what seems like he has authority, but the reality is he has a loud voice, but zero authority, and we serve one for which when he sets something in motion, it comes to completion in the name of Jesus. That's the type of God that we serve. That's the type of God that we listen to, and this is what Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinthians chapter, Corinthians, Corinth, Colossians, Colossia, we'll get the right book of the Bible here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in him, some of y'all need to circle that in your scripture journal, because it's not in you, it's in him. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Circle that again. Who is the head and rule and authority. In him, there we go again. Also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in, uh, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And you who are dead in your transgressions and with the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you see some patterns going on in here? It is not by you. It is not by me. It is by the work and the power of Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus, anoint our brains, anoint our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just speak because your servants are ready to listen. We are done with the, with the monotonous voices of the world telling us who we are supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, and how we're supposed to live. And we lift up our ears to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us. So Lord, help us to understand you. Change our hearts and make us more like you. Shape us into what we need to be shaped into because we don't want to leave this place the same way we walked in. We speak it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got this church in Colossia, not, not Corinth. I'll get my, bio, my books of the Bible right. We have this church that is asking questions. And the question at hand is, how do we hold fast to the person of Jesus? Because in the previous scriptures that we've been reading, it, Paul keeps referring to the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus. That's why in this portion we get the words in him or with him over and over. And the question is, how do we hold fast to Jesus in the midst of the false voices coming our direction? And you may say, well, what are the false voices? And I will say, thank you for asking me that question because I'm going to show you. So we have Paul is writing to this church. Paul is in prison writing letters to churches. And he begins to pen out what I feel are three false voices that lead to victory. Three false voices that lead to some other version of victory. So look here. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, there is the false voice of escape. The false voice of escape. Verse number 8 and 9 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. We're going to pause right there. What was he talking about? Because a lot of the pagan religions of this day, the pagan religions that were offering their philosophy and empty deceit, the human traditions, the elemental spirits of this world, what he was talking about is this, is their mindset is the way you get victory in life is you have to completely divorce yourself from anything connected to the physical. Divorce yourself from the physical, and that way you get fulfillment. But I'm here to say that God did not come that God did not create, he did not send his son to give you an escape from life, to give, but to give you fulfillment in the middle of life. Some of us think, man, if I could just escape this life, man, I, 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 I understand what you're saying, but the reality is, is God didn't come to get us to escape from living. He came that we might have life. Jesus is the one that brought us fulfillment because the idea of this city was if you can just escape life, escape anything that, that the physical body wants or demands, if you can just get and escape all of that and separate yourself from all desires, then you find fulfillment. And the beauty is this, is Jesus didn't say, here's all the things you got to do to find fulfillment. Jesus says, let me in and I will give you fulfillment. And out of that fulfillment, you begin to live life. Man, we get it backwards, don't we? 
If I can just get the right car, I can get the right pay. If I can get the right situation, I get the right house. If I can get the right this, the right that. If I can do the right things out here, it brings me fulfillment in here. But the problem is, is once we get the things on the outside, we realize that never really truly satisfied inside. And Paul's like, listen, don't listen to that deceit. Don't listen to that idea that the traditions say, separate, 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 and you'll find fulfillment. It's like, listen, find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Find your fulfillment there, and from there, start living life. I know I've heard it from Billy Graham. I've heard it from a ton of preachers I grew up around. They've all said a similar thing, and I've always just really enjoyed the the simple metaphor that says that every single one of us have been born with a God-shaped hole in our lives. Like a puzzle with one missing piece, and it's a pretty big piece. And so much of our existence is trying to fulfill whatever that chasm and that void is. We're trying to fill the void in our life until we finally say yes to Jesus and realize he's the only one that not just fills the void, he makes our lives complete. And it's out of that that we can actually start living. This is why, this is why when we struggle or then we're going through tough situations, this is why believers in Christ can still have hope even though they're going through struggles. Because when I go through struggles, I recognize, you know what? My hope is not in the outcome of the struggle. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is not in whether or not the doctor can fix me. My hope is in Jesus. There is a voice coming to, the, to this church saying, listen, your fulfillment, your victory will come when you separate yourself from the rest of the world. But this is not the voice of Jesus. Jesus says, listen, you invite me in. I'll give you fulfillment, and then I'll give you purpose to live out in this world. There's victory there. Because when you live that way, you realize that the circumstances in your life, in your marriage, with your kids, and with your job, they don't have to be all right for you to live victoriously. You don't have to escape your problems to be victorious. That there's, there's a difference between earthly victory and kingdom victory. And the difference is this. In the kingdom, we possess victory before we ever see it. That's the difference. In this world, there are voices. If you do this, that's a victorious life. But the reality is, I don't have to do anything to have a victorious life. I get to have it in Christ Jesus. And out of that, I get to now live it out around me. Paul is like, you don't have to escape. You don't have to escape. Do you know where Paul wrote this from? Jail. Paul had victory while being bound up. We don't have victory because we couldn't find our keys before church this morning. We couldn't have victory because we yelled at the kids and we screamed at them and we yelled at each other. And as soon as we saw people in the parking lot, hey, praise God, good to see you at first this morning. We've all been there. Paul's like, you don't have to escape it. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What's he talking about? That God-shaped void in all of our lives. He says, you've been filled in him. It's like, don't listen to the voice that says, just it's, to get fulfillment, just escape from it all. I think in this world, I think so often we have escapism in the church. 
When we all get to heaven, we'll sing and shout the victory. It's a great hymn, wonderful hymn. But so often, like, well, well, Pastor Abel, I just want Jesus to come back. You know what? I do want Jesus to come back. I do believe in the, in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. But the imminent return of Jesus Christ was not to prevent us from living. It's for us to live with expectation and live on mission and let people know about the love of Jesus all around us. We were never meant to be escape artists in this world. We were meant to, are we aliens and strangers? You better believe it. This is not our home. But until we see Jesus, we live in a fulfilled way, calling everybody to come to know the one that filled us. Number two. So we got voices of escape, and then Paul identifies there's voices of excess that want, to, want you to believe that that's the way to be fulfilled and victorious. Verse number, verse 11. In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh. There's the key words. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The key right there is putting off the body of flesh. What is he talking about? It's this body that, that constantly craves more. Do any of you ever crave more? Apparently you've never had a, a nutter butter because you've, you have a nutter butter, you will crave more. You have a tag-along cookie, you will crave more. I am such a peanut butter fanatic, if you can't tell. It's, if you have, we'll, we'll go to Pringles. There we go. Salt and vinegar Pringles. There's Jesus in those Pringles. You will crave more. Some of you are disgusted with me right now. We are, the nature of our flesh is the nature of excess. We have to have more. Nothing is ever enough. It's that body of flesh that constantly wants. In the middle of our recession that we're having right now, in the economy that we are struggling with, I don't know about you, I am so sick of what my grocery bill looks like every single week. I'm sick of what I pay at the pump. But in the middle of all of this, get this, we just set a record for spending on Black Friday at $1.3 billion dollars. There is a voice that says a victorious life is more. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19 says, for as, the rich, for as the rich in this present age charge them to not be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy, they are able to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous uh, and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation of the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now what Paul is saying in this scripture, it's a great scripture to talk about giving. And I'm not going to necessarily talk about giving this morning, but I think that we ought to be givers. I think we all ought to be tithers. I think we all ought to be generous with what we do. When we think about things with the gospel mission, we all ought to be involved on some level, shape, or form, looking to bless people whenever we can. But Paul is not just talking about giving. He's trying to make a point that you do not experience life by truly doing and getting whatever you want. We, this is the society and the culture of excess that just because you get what you want doesn't mean you have a victorious life. Now, I mean, if we were to talk about giving, I've had people tell me for years, well, pastor, I would give more if I made more. I'm like, well, that... It does make a little bit of sense, but the question is, are you giving at all? Well, no, but if I made more, I would start giving. And the reality is this, is that whenever that your standards and your characteristics, that your habits will always match your goals. 
And so if you're not a giver now and you win the Powerball, most likely you're not going to be a giver then. Some of you are looking at your Powerball tickets like, oh, I would promise, Pastor, I would tithe and I would celebrate that. But the reality is this, is that so many of us are driven by this is what I need, and if I get what I need, it's that spirit of access. If I get all that I need, I get the relationships and the friendships I need, the money I need, the portfolio I need, I get this, I get that. I get all of whatever is given to me, then that will be, that's my truth. That's what I long for. That's what I desire. I mean, even this past week, I remember sitting just, I sat with a couple just from out of town, and that's one thing I kept hearing was, well, this is my truth. This is just what I want. We're so driven by what I, we want, and we think that's the truth. But let me give you a word this morning, that what we get and what we desire is not truth. We are a culture driven by whatever you want, you ought to get, because if that makes you happy, then you ought to have it. But the problem is, when you get it, you still aren't happy enough. That can no longer be truth. What is truth that drives us? Jesus' victory is our truth. Jesus' victory is our truth. Not the desires, not what Paul calls the body of the flesh. What does he say? Put it off. Set it aside. The thing that's driving you, it's got a craving that is insatiable and you will become a slave to excess. I want to make a statement here today. People who live in excess are slaves to their excess and they don't even see it. And what feels like a truth is the thing that actually enslaves them. How do I know when you've broken, to the, broken the back of the spirit of access and the voice of access? How do I know that you're able to do it? It's because you're able to say the word no. Could you have more? Sure. Could I feed myself with more? Yes. Could I spend more on myself? Yes. The ability to say no. Victory isn't found in unrestrained freedom, but in the ability to sit there and say no. Because I'm choosing to live in a such a way to bless, to encourage, to strengthen, to pray, to reach out, to serve. I'm learning that life isn't found in excess. Life is found in Christ. And number, and number three, lastly, let me wrap this sucker up. Verse 13 through 14. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. With this demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That word canceled, this is such a cool Greek word because the word canceled, uh, it signifies something that was etched in wax. That while warm, you took your hand and smeared it so you can't read it any longer. He's saying, Christ did something for you that he has wiped away and smeared away that can't be read ever again. This last voice is a voice that I think is the hardest voice to deal with because it's the voice that I tend to lend my ear way too often to. It is the voice of earning. We've got to be better than so-and-so. We have to excel beyond. Not just to make myself look good, but to please the heart of God. Because there is a mentality of the church in Colossae that if I can do better things and if I can be more, if I can outdo somebody, then God will love me. God will accept me. There is a voice that is speaking to you even here today that simply says this, that just work harder. You got to do more. 
you got to volunteer more. you got to give more. And I celebrate people that want to do more. But when the drive is to get the heart of the Father to be bent towards you, you have missed out and you've listened to the voice that is not Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't say work harder. He says just lean into me. Lean into me. You, it doesn't mean you don't volunteer. Please volunteer. It doesn't mean you don't give. Please give. But it does mean that we no longer do it from the place of earning. Because the enemy, what he wants to do is to ruin your passion for Jesus. Not by leaning into him, but by leaning into the voice that says, you've got to keep earning that affection. You've got to keep leaning into that affection. Jesus' voice has broken the back of shame and guilt. And I love that word. And he has canceled out the record that stood against us. By what? By the record of debt that stood with us and its legal demands. There's the key. They had a law that had legal demands. And Jesus wiped out all the guilt. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be driven by earning it. You don't have to be driven by proving something to other people or even to God. You don't have to do any of that. You've given something better than earning. You want righteousness? Let, let, me, let me help you understand something. If you want righteousness, you, whatever righteousness you think you can earn on your own, Jesus already set the bar high. He'll give you something that you can never, ever earn on your own. You, how can you gain more than what Jesus already has given you? And so there's nothing left to do but to surrender to Jesus and to abide in his presence. Stop trying to earn Stop listening to the voices that you have to earn. Just surrender and to abide in Christ. Verse 14. He canceled the record that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross, and this is huge. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them open to shame by triumphing over them in him. This is very, very specific verbiage. So Gabe, if you can come up on the keyboards. This is very specific verbiage. Because he uses terminology that they would have recognized by the surrounding Roman government that ran everything. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them open to shame by triumphing. Circle that word triumph. If you got your scripture journal, I put, I put it in blue here. It's a context of something that would take place from the Roman government. You see, when the Romans would go and they would conquer another city, another country, another land, another army, what they would do is they would have their rulers and authorities of the armies coming in to Rome in a procession, in a parade. The rulers and authorities would, of the armies would walk and they would show off who they were, the way that they dressed, and following behind them all of the spoils that they took from the people they just invaded. And on top of that, the last part of the parade, and this is three days of doing this, the last part were the generals they defeated and the armies and the prisoners they defeated. They would march them last so that the entirety of Rome could not just cheer for who the, who the generals and the authorities were, but they could mock the people and put them to public shame that were following behind them. It's where we get the term public spectacle. If you've ever heard that term, this is what it refers to. Paul says this. What, what did Jesus do? He disarmed the rulers and authorities. Every voice that has said, I've got authority over your life. I've got a handle of your life. That, 
I've had people say, Pastor Dave, I've got this addiction in my life. Every time the addiction is said, I'm going to still run your life. Every time brokenness of your past comes back and says, I'm going to order your life. Every time somebody says to you, listen, I know who you are, and you're just going to go back to being who that person was. I'm here to say, whatever voice that has been speaking into you, Jesus has disarmed that voice. He has disarmed the voice. He has disarmed that authority. And the people that used to march out front showing you off, saying, look at who I've enslaved. Jesus has taken that voice and put it to the back of the line and said, listen, I'm going to be in the front and look at what I have put behind me. He disarmed the rulers and, and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This was language that they would have understood in Colossia because they, they've seen what the Romans can do. And all of a sudden, Paul gives them this word that says, listen, whatever you're facing, Jesus has got the authority. And watch, watch everything that has set itself up against you follow behind in shame. Do you want to know victory in your life? Follow triumph wherever it goes. Follow the voice of Jesus wherever he goes. Why? Because he's defeated it. He defeated it on the cross. He defeated it in the tomb. And he lives in us. His spirit lives in us to give you victory today. But we've just got to learn to use our inside voices. Are you guys married to anybody who doesn't know how to use an inside voice? Don't point. My grandma Price, I love my grandma Price. I miss her so much. I remember one time, I, I snapped at her and said, Grandma, use your inside voice. And I realized it was her inside voice. Always loud. Always screaming. David Matthew, David Matthew, David Matthew. I get called that a lot. But there's voices on the inside that some of us need to start letting on the outside. We need to let the Spirit of God possess our life and let Him start speaking a better word inside us. We need to start heeding what the Word of the Lord. Some of y'all need to open up your Bibles. Some of you are missing the voice of God because you don't read the Word of God. But when we get the Word of God inside of us, when we allow the Spirit of God to speak inside of us and the work inside of us, there develops an inner voice. And I'm not talking about hearing voices in your head. I'm talking about hearing the voice of the Lord for your life so that when you walk through the deepest and darkest times of your life and you hear the crowds of voices that are speaking over you, if you just escape from life, if you can just have access, if you can just start earning, that you actually you, you will... You'll hear those voices, but you'll start tuning into the voice that truly matters. And it's a voice that truly is the one that will lead you toward freedom. God, help your church be so familiar with your voice that no matter what the crowd is, we will start centering ourselves upon the voice that truly matters. We've got to start using our inside voice. God, I know what I'm hearing, but I know what you spoke here. I know what that was said to me by my spouse, but I know your voice here. I know what people say at work, but I know your voice here. Some of us need to start using our inside voice and trust the voice that's there. It's a voice of victory. It's a voice of victory. Last week, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, I was at, talking to my son Ethan, and I'm like, I'm like, bud, have you watched Andor? If you don't know what Andor is, it's that great Christian series. Uh, it's a Star Wars series, by the way. Um, we love Star Wars. I'm like, hey, how far are you along on there? And he said the episode, I'm like, oh, that's, that's where they get out of jail. And he goes, 
wait, they're in jail? I'm like, oh. He goes, spoiler. And my, my aunt's like, you just spoiled like three episodes in a row, in which I probably just did for all of you right now that I realize that. These aren't the droids you're looking for. I remember the look on his face, and I'm like, I just became one of those people, which I just even did this morning. But I want to, can I give you a spoiler alert today? In Christ, in Christ, your story ends in victory. This is the spoiler. I'm going to preach to this side. This side, we're into this over here. In Christ, Wait, no, they need it. Remember what I was saying? You guys got it. In Christ, our story ends in victory. I, I, every once in a while, once, twice a year, people contact me. Pastor, would you stop saying the words, the best is yet to come? Stop saying that. Because according to Revelation, it's going to get worse. I'm like, first of all, stop just reading Revelation. But secondly, if you read Revelation, what does the end say? That no matter how bad it gets, no matter what's going on, the wars and the rumors of wars, no matter who's in the presidency, no matter what's taking place and the laws of the land, let me tell you this. At some point, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have victory. So why are we listening to the other voices? The voice that says, the, your faith is bankrupt. You know what? If you've got a mustard seed, I mean, how, how cheap is a mustard seed? We're like, it's a Canadian penny's worth. It's not much there. But even if you might be bankrupt, but you've just got a little penny's worth of faith. Do you understand what type of investment that is? Because just a penny's worth of faith, you can move mountains. We are a people of victory, so let's stop acting like we are just casualties to everything else around us. Christians, stop acting like casualties and start living victorious in the name of Jesus. That's the spoiler alert. Whatever the voices are, Paul says, listen, cancel them out. Here's some cancel culture for you. Just cancel them out. And let me tell you, you're going to hear them over and over and over again. Scripture says that weapons will be formed against you, but the Scripture also says they won't prosper. Why? We have victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. And maybe you're here today. And you don't feel like you've got victory. I want to speak to two groups in the house today. Because there's some of you here today that you've got a God-shaped hole inside of your life that you've been trying to fill that in. It could be months. It could be years. It could just be your entire life. You've been chasing after this and that, trying to help yourself feel fulfilled. And the reality is you found yourself empty. Because the only person that's ever been able to fill that is the only person that would, that could actually bring you fulfillment, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me?